You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We are going to uh, be continuing through 2 Peter this morning. Uh, We're going to be picking up a little bit where Will left off last week as we taught and discussed this this idea of false teachers. And so we're going to see in 2 Peter, if you have your Bibles, turn them on, flip to the page, 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 12 through 22 this morning, and we're going to see this continuation of Peter uh, writing this letter to this to this local body, explaining the uh, the false teachers how to how to view, how to see them, how to point them out, and what the result of that should be. And so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into the text this morning. God, we thank you for allowing us to come together to worship you. I pray that our goal is to make your name great, to give you the glory for everything that we do, everything that we say. I pray that we, as we open up this letter, um, this text that we read that you convict us where we need convicted. You show us our failures, you show us our sin, and you help mold us more into the image of your Son for your glory alone. Amen. So this morning we're going to see a couple of things throughout the uh, text. I'm not really, really good at staying organized. So at some point you're going to see these things talked about, but those three points, if you like to take notes, are one, the sin of false teachers, So we're going to see exactly what sin it is that they're trying to indulge in, what sin it is that they're trying to lure others into. We're going to see, second, the extent of false teachers. And then lastly, we're going to see what the result of false teachers is. And so we're going to continue in the text where Pastor Will left off. And we realize as we go throughout Scripture that all throughout Scripture, it talks a great deal about false teachers, talks a great deal about the seriousness of it, what our call to do is with it. Um, and so although we're going to be seeing what false teachers Peter is referring to just shy of around 2,000 years ago, I think that we're going to see similar things in our own life, in our own time as well. And so all throughout church history, we have seen false teachers who have creeped into the church and who has attempted to take individuals that are in the church to deceive them, to turn them away from Christ, and instead of giving God glory, glorify themselves through their sin. And so Pastor Will explained last week uh, one of the ways in which we see on whether or not a doctrine or a teaching is, is the gospel of Scripture or the gospel of man is this idea is if you try to add anything to the gospel outside of grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, That's not what the gospel is, right? Scripture teaches us it's by grace through faith in Christ alone that we receive salvation. And so let's dive into this text and see what the false teachers of Peter's day um, were doing and how that applies to us almost 2,000 years later. So if you have your Bibles, verse 12, it says, But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, Born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming blaspheming about the matters of which they are ignorant, will be also destroyed in their destruction. And so we see right out of the gate, Peter's not pulling any punches with how he describes these individuals that has creeped into the church. We see Peter explain and illustrate these false teachers as irrational animals. He illustrates them as those who are ignorant And so we see that a false teacher is ignorant of the true gospel. They have taken some truths of scripture and they have twisted them and perverted them to promote themselves, to rely on the promises that indulge the flesh as a way to gather people in 
And we're going to see that uh, specifically what it is that they're trying to promise and encourage other people to do is the sins of sexual perversion and greed. If you haven't had a chance yet on uh, social media, we, we started a blog and Pastor Will, uh, or Pastor Jeremy rather, wrote the first blog. And if you, if you haven't read it yet, I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, Pastor Jeremy takes this topic and kind of goes into a little bit more detail. But one of the things that, that Pastor Jeremy talks about is he explains uh, in this blog this idea of what we call imputed sin or inherited sin. So he explains that why is it that we typically do some of the things we do? And it's this idea that through Adam, all of us are born into what we call a sin nature. We have a desire, a natural instinct to choose what glorifies ourselves rather than the things that glorify God. And we see this doctrine pointed out in this text. Peter explains uh, about these false teachers and says that it is their natural instinct these in the, this, the instinct of these creatures, if you will, to want to choose sin. And so whether it be false teaching, whether it be greed, whether it be pride, sexual sin, whatever sin it is that you struggle with, right, you name it, we were all born with this natural instinct to choose things for ourselves and not for Christ. And so the question of why do we have false teachers, why are these individuals creeping into the church uh, trying to get people outside of the gospel, it's easy, right? They are born with this nature. It's their desire to want to sin. It's their desire to want to lead other people astray. It's their desire to do what it is that pleases them the most. And so I would, I would encourage you, one way to point out and to see when false teaching is happening is you look at the end result of their teaching. So we see every time a false teacher, the end result is to glorify or bring some sort of gain to themselves. In this passage, we're going to see that gain is sexual perversion and greed. So there's always the end result of bringing um, some sort of gain to the self within false teaching. <clears throat> Peter also gives us in that text here the end result, <clears throat> and that is that false teachers will ultimately be destroyed. All of their attempts... All of their sinful misleading will come to an end of destruction at the day of judgment for them. There is no win for them in the future. And so church, although we warn about the dangers of false teaching because it's a very real and present danger all throughout the history of the church, we can be comforted in the fact that we know there is no amount of false teaching, there is no amount of cunning wisdom, there's no amount of any kind of false promises that trumps the effectual call of Christ. This is to mean that the gospel of Christ will prevail. Scripture teaches us this, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus is speaking to Peter, and Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Peter is, is not only warning these false teachers simply in a way to, to watch out, be careful for them because they're here, I would argue that Peter is teaching and warning these ideas of false teachers on a more active approach. That is that scripture has made it clear that we are to be aware, we are to avoid, we are to call out, and we are to remove false teaching from our local body. And in order to know how, when, and where to remove this false teaching, we have to be able to realize what false teaching truly is. And so that's why Peter goes into detail in this text and other parts of Scripture go into detail on this idea of false teaching. 
And so we're going to see as we continue through this passage here, we're going to read verses uh, 13 through 15. It, it, it explains what exact sin it is that these false teachers are indulging themselves in and trying to gather individuals to join them in. So verse 13, it says, Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. <clears throat> they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice <clears throat> and restrained the prophet's madness. And so we see here this idea that these false teachers are not simply pagans outside of the church, sinners who is trying to encourage anyone and everyone to come indulge themselves in the sexual desire, to indulge themselves in the greed, to indulge themselves in whatever sin it is that they want to commit. It's not people outside of the church doing this. Rather, it's, it's people who are within the church. So these false teachers, the, the danger of it is it isn't someone outwardly that is openly sinful trying to encourage others to sin. It's individuals who have a platform in the church trying to teach a different doctrine that's contrary to what Scripture teaches. It says here in the text that they do their work in the daytime. They do their work within the four walls of the church. They do their work while they feast with, while they feast with you, while they hang out with you. Most of the time, you would see apparent sin as something done in secret, done at night, done when no one's watching, when you're alone. And so we see this idea that the sin of false teachers is not always the easiest to spot. They're deceptive. It'd be much easier if false teachers weren't as deceptive and creative with their methods. So false teachers are often going to teach things that appear as true, that appear as good, and they're going to take these true and good theological doctrines that we have and they're going to twist them and pervert them for their own selfish gain. They're going to twist them and pervert them to something that leads to a glorification of self and not a glorification of God. One commentator put it this way, <clears throat> what these evil men who were troubling Peter's people were doing was to say that they loved and served Christ while the things that they taught and the actions that they did were in complete denial of him. False teachers are not those who appear and act sinful outwardly, but rather disguise as themselves as someone who loves Christ. But we see this cannot be further from the truth. Peter explains in this text, he says, these false teachers have eyes who are, which are full of adultery. They have hearts trained in greed. So we see this sin that these false teachers are, are using and encouraging others to partake in is that of sexual sin and greed. And as we read this text and we see 2,000 years ago, these are the false teachers of Peter's days, we see the same sins and the same tactics are used today. I mean, you look around you, if you guys have ever uh, watched TV, maybe late at night, you end up flipping through the channels and you come to this like televangelist, right? There's always a number at like the bottom corner. And you see this preacher get up and he's telling them, hey, if you call that number, if you give X amount of money to the church, 
Whatever disease it is that you have, you're going to be healed. Whatever prayer it is that you need, it's going to be answered. Whatever you give to this local body, if you will, for the glory of God, God's going to pay you back tenfold. And so we see this false teaching evident all around us. We see this idea they're using false teaching to promote themselves, to promote their own organization, maybe whatever it is that they're trying to promote for selfish gain. We see even, I've seen even in West Virginia, false teachers who have used their influence, their charisma to prey on those who are not as grounded in scripture, to pervert the gospel for selfish gain. I've seen individuals who have used their platform, their status to teach this idea and manipulate women for sexual gain. The motives and methods of false teachers have not changed over the years. Like we stated earlier, the end result is some sort of gain for themselves. They might get more creative with their methods, but yet they're the same. If anyone is teaching a different gospel than grace through faith in Christ alone, then they're teaching a false doctrine, a false gospel. And in the church, we hold to a view known as sola scriptura. And this, this, this term means that scripture alone is our final authority of faith and practice. That is, scripture alone is what we use to determine what it is we believe and what it is we practice in the local body. And so as Peter is explaining to be aware of false teaching, we are encouraged that we use scripture alone as the measurement in which we interpret anything we hear. So I encourage you, you don't simply take what any pastor that stands up on the stage tells you as truth. You have scripture to tell you what's truth. And if anyone starts preaching anything outside of these 66 books that we have, you need to send them away. We have in our hands on our phone, the 66 books, there's probably 100 different Bible apps. We all probably have four, five, six Bibles at home. We have more information at our fingertips now than ever before. I encourage you, if you are not in Scripture, study it, learn it, love it, apply it all to all of your life. We've fallen into a time in which technology is, is a wonderful thing. <coughs> but can be used very poorly. Oftentimes we go to Facebook for what's true. We go to whatever our favorite news channel is to figure what's true. How often are we opening up scripture to figure out what is true in our life? Scripture is not simply a a tool given to pastors to teach on Sunday morning. Scripture is given to us as a guide for our entire life. How oftentimes do you guys see on Facebook that, uh, that post that has like a picture of Jesus and it's like, hey, if you love Jesus, like, share, comment, send it to 10 friends in the next 10 minutes or Jesus is going to know you hate him, right? So you see it rampant everywhere around us. You can't avoid this idea of false teaching that somehow God's watching you on your phone and you scroll past. He's like, man, that guy doesn't love me, right? And so we have all this information at our fingertips. And what are we using it for? I encourage you, if you're not in Scripture, if you're not studying, if you're not reading, do it. If you're not being discipled, find someone to disciple you. If you're not discipling others, find someone else to disciple. If you're not doing that, you are failing to honor God with your mind, and in return, you're remaining infants in Christ, and these are the people in which these false teachers are going after. 
Paul explains uh, this idea of spiritual maturity in, in 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth had a lot of issues going on, um, a lot of different things that they were partaking in sinfully. And Paul is encouraging this church in Corinth, and, and he's trying to encourage them to study and to grow in Scripture. And he explains that this idea of, of you guys in Corinth have been drinking milk way too long. You need to start eating some solid food. And so I encourage you, church, the number one way to be best equipped to avoid, to see, to call out, and to remove false teaching in our local body and the church is we must first take the individual responsibility of studying Scripture for ourselves. We see in verse 14, it teaches us who it is that the false teachers go after. Peter calls these individuals unsteady souls. We see this warning that the false teachers are knowledgeable enough to go for those who are not as grounded in the word. It's kind of like uh, if, you would, if you would come and play basketball Wednesday night, right? You're going to look around, and if you're anything like me, like my goal is to have the easiest person play defense on me so I can try to score the most points, and I want to play defense on who I think is like the worst player. So I'm always trying to match up against Jeremy Berry, Right? <laughs> He's not as tall as me. He's not as athletic, maybe not as well-versed in the sport of basketball. Um, or if you've watched TV long enough, <clears throat> you've, you've ended up on National Geographic because for some reason we like watching lions find their prey, right? And the lions do this. You see them hide in the brush. You see 300 antelopes run across the field and they're waiting for that perfect target, right? It's that little baby antelope that's like 40 yards back because he's just not as fast yet. And he makes his pounce. He finds his target. He finds the weakest link in the pack. And that's what we see false teachers doing. They're in the church. They're eating. They're feasting with one another. They're teaching with one another. They have this illusion of being part of the body of Christ and they're finding the individuals that are not as grounded in truth. You go back to Genesis, right? What did the serpent do? Serpent came to Eve and said, hey, did God really say this? Did he really say, you really think God's gonna kill you if you eat of this, that you're gonna die? No, God didn't really say that. So they take this truth and they pervert it and twist it for selfish gain. We see false teachers are doing this. So I encourage you, how we figure out when false teaching is happening is we have to be grounded and rooted in Scripture. It's not simply the pastor's job to disciple everyone here. It's impossible. There's no, we don't, have, we don't have enough pastors to meet with 300 people every single week and read scripture together, right? Jesus gives us the great commission in Matthew where he says, go and make disciples. And so it is the responsibility of anyone who belongs to Christ to make disciples. So if you are not being discipled, if you're not discipling others, you are failing to live out the great commission in which Christ has called us to. If you're here and you have nobody pouring into your life, if you have nobody teaching you, let me be clear, that does not give you an excuse to be an infant in Christ. Like we mentioned earlier, you have at your fingertips scripture. You can Google search commentary upon commentary upon commentary to study God's word. We have no excuse to remain an infant in Christ. John Piper puts it this way. 
This is a strong admonition. First, to establish our own doctrinal stability in the word, but then also to labor seriously to ground our children and all new converts quickly in the truth of Scripture. He says, let us be a church where we are constantly helping each other send our roots ever deeper into the rock of God's truth. Verses 15 and 16, Peter gives us an indication on another way to point out and see false teachers. And and Peter is referencing an Old Testament story from the book of Numbers. So let's read that text again. It says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. What Peter's referencing is back in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, the Israelites were approaching the land of Moab. Balak, the king, was afraid of the Israelites. And he sent a prophet named Balaam and offered him money to come and curse the Israelites. And John Piper explains it this way. This is what Peter is zeroing in on in verse 15. The story of Balaam who loved gain from wrongdoing, specifically gain from someone willing to pay for his services. And so it's more than likely what's happening here in this time is not only do you have false teachers in the church trying to indulge themselves and encourage others to join in, they're in fact charging individuals to do so. It's this idea that they're charging them for their own special teaching, and it's this idea that if you pay for something, you're going to take it more seriously. Right? If you pay for something, it's got to be true. It's got to be right. It's got to be correct. And so oftentimes we see false teachers, whatever it is in which they're teaching, the way you point it out is what is that end result? It's for selfish gain. It's to promote self. As we move on to the second point, we see the extent of false teaching, how false teachers go about their sin, how they deceive others by their sin. And Paul explains it in the next couple of verses. Verse 17, it says, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. Peter's explaining here in the the text that these teachers, these these false teachers are promising. Uh, He he relates their their promises as, as waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. It says that they're, that the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them. So they have all of these promises of life, of water, In reality, there's nothing. It's bare. We see the language Peter used here is in contrast to the language that Jesus uses. In the book of John, Jesus says, whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. 
Another scripture in John uh, says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so we see this contrast between the false teachers who's promising this illusion of water, this illusion of a wellspring of water that results in eternal damnation, where Jesus offers a living water that results in eternal life. And so what they're promising, what these false teachers are getting at, we saw mentioned earlier uh, this, the extent of their teaching, how they prey on those who are not as grounded, those who are still infants in Christ, and they're promising this illusion of freedom in Christ. It's this idea that Christ has set you free. He has saved you from your sin. He has saved you from the condemnation of your sin. And so because of that, you are now free to indulge yourself in whatever it is that makes you feel good. How gross of a thought that the reality is, is what they're saying is partially true. Right? It is true. When Christ says it is finished to Telestai, all your debt has been paid. If you are a child of God, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, there is no amount of sin that Christ did not pay for. All your sin in the past, all your sin currently, and every sin that you will ever commit is gone. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and not your sinful flesh anymore. And so what these false teachers are doing is they're taking this wonderful theological um, fact of grace that has been applied and they're twisting what the outcome is supposed to be. They're saying because of how great our God is, because of the grace he has shown us, we are free to do whatever it is that we want. And that's not the truth. The truth is that if you have been purchased by the blood of Christ and you have been set free, your only response is complete worship of the one who set you free. You have no other option. You have no other response. If your response is not worship of God for what he's done, you have not been set free. How disgusting is it that these false teachers are teaching this illusion of freedom in Christ to do what it is that pleases himself. So when Christ died on the cross and he took all of our sin, all of our condemnation for those who are his children... Our response is genuine worship of the one who set us free. You cannot be redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ and go on desiring to live in sin. It's impossible. If you have been truly justified, Scripture says you are a new creation. You have a new heart, a heart that desires to give God glory and to see your sin diminished. Let me be clear that if you are a new creation, that does not mean that you will not sin again. We live in a fallen world. When Christ saved you, he did not take away all of your sin. Not at that point, meaning you're still going to sin. But what Christ did do is when he saved you, the desire to see your sin uh, demolished is an ever-present thought in the mind of a believer. If you do not get offended by the things that offend God, you are not part of his church. Paul explains it this way in Romans. Paul talks about, he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. This beautiful picture that you cannot out God's grace. There's no amount of wrong that you have done that God says, ah, it's a little bit too much for me to cover. And then Paul explains right after in verse seven, or in chapter seven of Romans, he says, does this mean that we go on sinning so that grace may abound more? Paul says, by no means. 
And so this illusion of freedom that the false teachers are, are teaching, they're using very true, very encouraging doctrines of grace and distorting what our response is supposed to be because of it. Instead of the result of grace being genuine worship and a life living for God, they spin it in a way to indulge their flesh for selfish gain. And so church, we have freedom in Christ. We have Christian liberties that we are allowed to partake in. And I would encourage you, the ultimate decider on which liberties or if we should partake in said Christian liberties is we ask ourselves two questions. The first, does this Christian liberty draw me or anyone around me closer to God? And second of all, does this Christian liberty draw myself or anyone around me further from Christ? Scripture says whatever it is that we do, we do to bring God glory through it. Galatians tells us, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way on this idea of Christian liberties and freedom. He says, I intend to smoke this cigar tonight to the glory of God. One commentator wrote, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves. They promise freedom, but freedom can never be found in the flesh, only in God's spirit. Freedom is not found in what Jesus can give us, but only in Jesus himself. And so when we seek freedom in the wrong way, we, just like these false teachers, become slaves of corruption. True freedom is only found in the finished work of Christ. Continuing on, as we read these last couple verses, we're going to see the last point, uh, the result of false teachers. So we're going to read verses 20 through 22. It says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than than after knowing it turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And so I want to I uh, be clear. Verses 20 and 21 at, at first glance can seem a little bit of a confusing text. As you read it, it can, it can appear that you had these false teachers who have left the faith um, and decided to follow themselves. This idea that some churches will take this verse and try to teach a theological belief that somehow you can lose your salvation. We know this, this cannot be further from the truth. What Peter is referencing here is someone who has grown up, who has been in the presence of the church, the presence of godly people, who has seen the blessings and grace of God around them, who has tasted the blessings through communion. Their whole life, They have seen God's grace on display all around them. They are in the church, but they are not of the church. These are false teachers who never had a true relationship with God. Peter talks about it in the very beginning. He says, these false teachers are ignorant. They do not know what the true gospel is. So the basic fact of the matter is in order to interpret this text as a text that points to this idea that one can lose their salvation, you must first have a theological view that the power of God is not as strong as the sin of man. 
This idea that God was not quite strong enough to keep his children safe and secure. Scripture makes it clear that if God has saved you, God will keep you, God will sanctify you, God will convict you of your sin, and by the grace of God, he will glorify you on the day of glorification. You will reach glorification to the glory of God alone. And so what we don't see here is this idea that you can lose your salvation. But what we do see in this passage is Peter saying those individuals, those false teachers who have been among the church, who have been among the people of God, who have studied, they're even knowledgeable of theological doctrines, but they lack a relationship with God. These people, Scripture says that there is a worse punishment for these individuals at judgment. Scripture says it would have been better had they never been a part of the church. It would have been better had they never heard the gospel. It would have been better had they never seen or tasted the blessings of God. It would have been better for them to have been born, lived their whole life for themselves, whatever sin it is they wanted to commit, than to have been part of this church, to seen the blessings of God all around them, and still reject Christ at the end. This falling away is not talking about a falling away of salvation, but rather falling away of the presence of God all around them, yet they still reject Christ. Other parts of Scripture, the book of Matthew, the book of Romans, talks about certain people, certain cities, certain towns that are going to receive a greater judgment at the day of judgment for their unbelief because of what it was that they were a part of. They saw the goodness. They saw miracles. They saw God work in their local body, and yet they still reject him and choose themselves. Verse 22 references Proverbs 26.11 to finish this illustration of the result and end of false teachers. It says, it explains these false teachers as a dog who returns to its vomit. And the same is for these false teachers. As we explained at the beginning of the text, this idea of inherited, imputed sin. If you are born in sin and there's never a transformation of grace in your life, your end result, no matter which way you dice it, is you're going to return to your depravity. You're going to return to the fleshly desires that you want and not the glory of God. There's no amount of work, there's no amount of wisdom that you can do to earn your salvation apart from Christ alone, grace alone, and faith alone. And so church, we've As we end the sermon, we focus specifically on the sin of false teachers. However, the truths that we've uncovered can be applied to our life as well. Previously, it, 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 it answers this question. It says, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, what is it that we have allowed to overcome us? Either you've allowed the grace of God to overcome you and you are now a slave to grace or you've allowed your sin to overcome you and you are a slave to sin and corruption? Have you allowed his death to give you true freedom? Have you surrendered your life, all your failed attempts to somehow try to piece your life together? Have you allowed God who offers living water to save you or are you still trusting this illusion of freedom that's not really there? whether by our actions or our beliefs, do we deceive ourselves with this illusion of freedom that we can somehow merit our own favor with Christ following the passions and desires of our flesh? Or have we surrendered our life to Christ? Patrick's going to come up here in a minute and uh, 
encourage us to come forward for communion. And I want to encourage you, take time to reflect. If you've never given your life to Jesus, Scripture says today is the day for salvation. You don't need a pastor. There's not a special prayer. I encourage you, if, if you've given your life to Christ, but you, you're still returning as a dog returns to his vomit, you're still struggling with that sin, take time to repent of your failures. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you where you need convicted. And then come joyfully accepting communion that Christ has offered his bride, his church. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.